Hi, I'm Max, and you're listening to the Alleviating Poverty Through Entrepreneurship podcast. This week, we're looking at a really unique social business called Make It that was started by three graduate students from the Copenhagen Business School. On the surface, Make It for its product might seem pretty mundane. It's a menstrual cup called Ruby Cup that's made out of silicone and is reusable and is meant to last as long as 10 years. What makes Make It stand out is what they do with their product. Like many of the companies we've talked about here on APTE, Make It is a buy one, give one organization. For every Ruby Cup that a consumer buys, they donate one to women and girls in Kenya. We talked to Make It co-founder Veronica D'Souza in their Nairobi office, along with one of their local sales representatives, Rachel. Rachel explains why lack of access to menstrual hygiene is such a huge issue in the slums and rural areas of Kenya. You don't know now which way to go and whom to talk to. You lack sanitary towels. You are afraid to tell your parent. You may find that most people in informal settlement in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, they are mo- some of the girls, they are, staying, they are staying with their fathers, not their mothers. Others, they are staying with single parents. And in case of the stereotypes that you have in the community, you feel afraid to go and tell them when you start your menstruation. Then you ended up using products which are not good to your health. Like sometimes they take the mattress, they insert which is very harmful, they bring diseases. And also sometimes as a lady, you like money to buy sanitary towels. And then you are in school. You engage up having sex with men to get money to buy sanitary towels. At the same time, you don't know how to, to have a protective sex. You end up getting pregnant at an early age, you drop out of schools, which leads most women not to talk on their issues as unempowered women. You end up being a woman of a certain level, which you can't speak in front of people, which leads to lack of women empowerment. Veronica says that when she first visited Kenya, she was surprised by how pervasive this problem was. It's a really huge issue, and I think the, the fact of something that was very, very surprising to us was um, how widely unfortunately, uh, prostitution is um, for very young girls due to lack of basic stuff like sanitary towels. And um, yeah, I mean, because it's, of course, also terrible to miss school. It's terrible to use mud, rags, bark, mattress, as Rachel said. Um, But to start really, I mean, um, prostitution with, with older men who, yeah, in order to get something small because you're so ashamed and so embarrassed to talk to anybody. And it's so stressful every month for the girls. And that's something that they've said with Ruby Cup. Because it's reusable for 10 years, it's not only the fact that they're happy that they have a great solution. It's also the lack of stress every month for thinking, okay, I just made it through this month. What am I going to do next month? Um, yeah. So it's, it's you know, something with the product that also gives them the certainty that they're not, they don't have to be depending yeah. on somebody yeah. else and have to talk about something that is pretty embarrassing. Also, I mean... All over the world, it's not like when you're 13, you want to bring up menstruation all the time, right? And ask people for help. Um, yeah. so, and especially in a taboo society, it makes a lot of sense that this is an extreme stress. Veronica explains Ruby Cup's unlikely origins. It started with Maxi, who was using a brand of a menstrual cup, uh, trying to convince Julie and I to use it personally. And I think at the beginning, Maxi's from Germany. And in the beginning, Julie and I, we're both from Denmark. We said, well, ah, this weird, you know, German hippie thing. Are we really going to try it? And then she got us convinced and we got super excited. So it started with a, basically a personal experience of this product is the best. Why have we not been using this before? Uh, and secondly, reading about the issues in developing countries, this huge issue and overlooked issue that, that menstruation is, and just thinking, I mean, are we complete idiots? Because if nobody else is doing it, there must be something wrong with this idea. 
the menstrual cup was invented in 1930. It's not our invention. Why has nobody taken this product to developing countries? And then we basically just, um, this was in April 2011. And in June 2011, we were in Kenya. Veronica says their decision to focus on Kenya in particular was a pretty spontaneous one. We made a very good business school overview of a lot of poor countries, what kind of languages people speak, try to rate languages based on religion and all these different factors. I think if you had an advisor who said, you know, you have to map everything and then make some kind of a quantitative conclusion on the best probability or something like that. Uh, of course, it didn't really work out that way. And uh, we found there's always a study made in the world. And we found the one study at the point that had been made about the cultural acceptance of a menstrual cup in a developing country. It was a small study with 50 schoolgirls and 50 women, but it was made here in the slums of Nairobi. So basically, we took our huge analysis and trashed it and bought tickets and flew to Kenya. The founders of Make It work mostly out of Nairobi, and they say that time spent on the ground has been invaluable. So Maxi and Julie and I, my two partners and I, moved here in September 2011. And um, Maxi and I had been here for one month in June before, and at that time we did not know anything about Kenya. Um, we had no idea how to talk about menstruation, for example, and whether that was culturally accepted. Uh, so um, we, we basically have to learn any, everything from the beginning. And I think if we had not done that, we could not do what we do, for sure. So the fact that we've been here on the ground for the last two and a half years almost is, is what has created this company and also really given it the soul. I think some things are visible from the outside, other things you just feel from the inside because you know what you're talking about. And you every day have the feeling that this is something important. It's not just something you read, read about. You, you're here. Um, and it was uh, definitely challenging in many ways to start a company here because, we, yeah, in the beginning, some advisors told us that we couldn't do anything at all by ourselves because we came, you know, from Western countries and it was Kenya is super corrupt. And then, you know, we couldn't open the company because people would try to cheat us. And we actually spent three months wasting time listening to advisors who said, don't do this, don't do that, go through other people. Um, but nothing happened. <laughs> So after three months, we sat down, I remember Julie, Max and I, and we looked at each other and said, this is not possible. It can't be happening. Let's just do everything ourselves and figure it out and figure out how it works. And so we went down to the immigration's office and, you know, got in contact with a really nice guy there called Robert and told him what we were doing and that we needed a work permit. And he got super excited because he's from Samburu, a place up north uh, where there's a lot of poverty and a lot of girls with this issue. And he was also running as a local politician. So he said, hey, come with me to Samburu and I will, you know, help you with all your information uh, about the work permit. And by building relations, things were not that difficult. Actually, it turned out to be much less bureaucratic. People were extremely helpful. We didn't experience any corruption. Um, so the advice is do it yourself and really make sure that if there is an issue, you'll know what it is. And yeah, I think doing business in Kenya is, is not... Uh, more difficult than doing it other places. It's just different. Make It sells Ruby Cups to certain places in Kenya as well as donating them. And it took them a while to find a business model that worked. We started out with a very different model. We started out a year ago, a bit more than a year ago, in, in July 2012. Uh, and we launched Ruby Cup as a direct sales model. So basically, we trained women and young women in slums to become sales ladies and there go out and sell the product. 
Um, and we thought this was a fantastic way because we could train the women in menstrual hygiene, which is generally an issue uh, that people don't know a lot about. So you need some education as well in order to use Ruby Cup. And at the same time, we would generate income for women. And there would also be like a local knowledge source of information if anybody would have problems and could translate questions to Swahili or other tribal languages. But um, after three months of trying to sell Ruby Cup this way, it didn't work. And that was actually, actually a really interesting learning. Um, and it didn't work because what the girls and women said was that the product was fantastic and it had amazing user feedback, but they couldn't convince new customers because they only saw it in the slums. So for them, it was associated with poverty. So right. they said, if you want to make Ruby Cup successful, you need to create a brand that speaks to all women in Kenya to make it attractive, to make it beautiful, and to make it cool. Because they saw the commercials from Always, where you have you know, the beautiful women dancing around in white clothes, um, as a symbol of the modern, beautiful woman. And by selling Ruby Cup in the slums only this way, Basically, people felt that they felt un, like insecure about the product, whether it was actually used by other women than poor people. Um, and it was such a new product that they didn't have trust in it. So that learning was, uh, yeah, it actually taught us that we had to go back and create a completely new strategy and rebrand or make sure that we branded Ruby Cup as a commercial uh, consumer product for the modern Kenyan woman in order to create demand. Veronica says that when you treat charitable products as purely functional, you run the risk of dehumanizing the very people you're trying to help. So if you see poor people as poor people that have basic needs that need to be solved, I think you're going to make many mistakes because people are the same everywhere in the world. Everybody wants to feel attractive and wanted and nobody wants to feel poor. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's not about just providing for some kind of function or need. It's about creating something that is attractive. And so in that sense, I think going back to basic, um, basic marketing and seeing, well, we have basically a consumer group or you know, whether it's through philanthropy or whether it's through business, it doesn't really matter, where we want to make this product or service attractive. How do we do that? What is attractive in this culture? How do we brand it? How do we you know, message it the right way so that they actually want to use it and not just say, this is what you need, you should use it. You know, I think it's assuming that people, yeah, just because you don't have income, that you don't care about um, other values and status and beauty. Um, and it's also about dignity and empowerment that, you know, I think everybody can relate to. If you just get something because you need it, you, you don't feel very precious. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, always, it's also about saying you are special and this product is special and you, you know, this is something treasurable and valuable. And we, we did that from the beginning with Ruby Cup. We developed our business strategy together with the women. And I mean, also the first one that failed. But some of the things that succeeded was exactly that co-creation of the branding. So, for example, the packaging we have is a pink cardboard box. And in the beginning, we asked them, do you think it should be green because it's eco-friendly and so on? And for them, the fact that it was eco-friendly was not a main sales point. What they wanted was a beautiful pink color that they could show around and it should be pink and cream and not white because cream is more beautiful you know and it had to look treasurable and valuable and you know and of high quality and those keywords I think basically were, were very important for even introducing a new product that nobody ever heard about to make sure that it's something that people feel that they are 
happy to receive. So I think it's not really about whether it's business or philanthropy. It's about how you perceive people and make sure that you understand to make something attractive and not just provide some kind of functional solution. Veronica shared a striking example of how these well-intentioned donation campaigns can go awry. It's a big issue. I mean, the, one of the schools where we provide Ruby Cup to, I, I opened one of the cupboards, and I don't know if you know Tom's Shoes. Um, they also have a buy one, give one model. And the, the, the cupboard was full of Tom's Shoes, um, and they weren't using them. So they might be doing that other places, but this is happening with products all over the place, right? Um, and, of course, it's not supposed to happen, but... And I asked, and I said, so, you know, how come you have all these shoes and nobody are using them? And he said, well, it's, it's not really seen well upon to wear these shoes. So it's, really, there's nothing wrong with the shoes. I think it's more about uh, understanding that you introduce it, things in the right way and that, yeah, you really focus on thinking dignity and attractiveness into what you're trying to offer and seeing people as people and not as poor or rich. Veronica explains how they introduced their product to Kenya after they found their niche. And what we did afterwards is that we got in contact with the pharmacies and supermarkets um, and started selling there and to create uh, marketing and campaigns that were addressing, basically introducing Ruby Cup to the modern Kenyan woman. Um, and at the same time, what we also found out in the slums was that you can sell Ruby Cup and also do it for a low price, but the girls in primary school will not be able to afford it no matter how low the price will be. So a discovery was also that in the base of the pyramid strategy, uh, there's still a need basically for philanthropy when it comes to young girls because, yeah, they don't have any means for, for getting money other than maybe prostitution, maybe other ways of borrowing money and getting into debt. And so they just need a cup so that they can stay in school. So that's why we changed our strategy. And we also sell Ruby Cup to Western markets uh, online. And that's how we do our, basically, our philanthropic side of our business. So whenever you buy a Ruby Cup from the States or in Denmark or wherever you are, we give a Ruby Cup out to a girl in primary school. Veronica emphasized again and again the importance of local cooperation and make it work for the variety of local partners. We have, um, yeah, very different types of partners. We have... Um, local schools and slums, um, where basically it's through networks. Since being here, visiting people, I mean, people are extremely friendly and menstruation is a huge need. So it's not difficult to find schools or partners on the ground that are willing to do whatever they can to facilitate help for these girls. Um, and that's through network and connection. And that's how really it works in, in Kenya. It's a very network-based community where people will always refer you to somebody else and say, you should meet this person. And so the Word of mouth spreads quickly. Um, so this is basically through yeah, being physically present and meeting a lot of people that we got good and great relations to, fantastic principals, school teachers that are really the ones on the ground making sure that Ruby covers a success not only when we are there, but also when the girls have questions or follow-ups and so on. Um, we also have a partnership with a distributor, uh, which is how we got into pharmacies and um, just a few months ago, supermarkets, which was not easy. Um, so, um, and they're a great distributor. Basically, they just make sure that, you know, pharmacies have a lot of different products. So they take care of the business side. Make It makes a point of employing people from Kenya for their sales force as well. Most of our team is also comes from informal settlements, from slums. So 
also for us as foreigners, it's been very important to make sure that, you know, like Rachel, yeah. she knows what's going on in the slums. Uh, she knows how to speak to people. She has a network there mm. um, and can also pick up on information. For example, when you ask a question about, you know, is there something not being received well or something not going well or connection, things that might be culturally difficult for us always to pick up on. So it's been, I mean, without that local connection, it would be very hard. Rachel explained how social taboos in Kenya make it really difficult for young girls to get information about menstruation. Basically, they take menstruation as something which is not acceptable in the community. So as a girl child, it's most of the time, you need like somebody who can talk to you and explain it to you. Because most of the parents here, they don't explain to you. Even they, talk, they don't talk to it as widely as possible. Especially there's discrimination of menstruation in churches. Because they say when you're having a menstruation, you're not supposed to go to churches, you are unclean. And also you're not supposed to sit with men who are elder in the community, especially the ancestral men. Because it seems like when a lady, she's on a menstruation, there are certain myths which are in the community, which if you follow and you, or you attend in certain ceremonies, something like a curse will bound upon you as a lady. So it's very difficult to understand, of which we think like, for example, during the session of the Rubik Cup session, most of the girls get an opportunity at least to get and hear more about it and to take it as a personal thing. And something that, like as a woman, you need to treasure not to take it as a taboo. With this in mind, I wanted to know how Make It went about talking about their product in an environment that might be potentially hostile. What we have decided is that we, um, we open up the conversation through trusted relations. It's about trust. So uh, we include, for example, the school teacher, um, and we talk about things very openly. So many of these girls, as Rachel said, have never had a conversation about menstruation before. We met a girl once who thought she was dying for two years and she had an illness because she hadn't told anybody and she didn't know that almost any other women, you know, girl bleed as well. Um, so we basically go straight out and educate about why you get your period, um, where does the blood come from. Um, also, a question we get is, can you urinate when you're using Rubicup, which shows us very few, few girls also know the female anatomy. So basically, Rubicup is also about female empowerment and teaching girls about how their body works, when they can get pregnant, um, how to, you know, what is a normal period, what is abnormal. All these different things are important issues that they don't, they don't get it from anywhere else. So that's uh, our approach is actually to, to go out and make sure that we are very open about the conversation, that we bring in trusted relations in the community, that there's always a school teacher, a relation, and then we have a fantastic team um, that basically are, are great teachers and that are also speak Swahili and from the slums. Um, and always, you know, phone numbers are there and everything so that we make sure that the girls feel safe, right? And then it's good to talk in groups because then the girls can also ask each other. Rachel talks about the typical dilemma for a young girl in Kenya. You might find like coming as a girl coming from an informal back settlement, it's so hard to get such kind of information. You are really eager to know more about reproductive health, but your parents can't tell you. And then their friends that you're having, some might give you the wrong information, which is not correct. With the Rubik Cup, what I like most, me preferring me myself and the community leader, community leaders who ourselves are joining Rubik Cup, is you're able to learn on the biological and the fact thing about menstruation, 
but now you're supposed to handle yourself and about your body as a person and to maintain your hygiene. Because we may find that most ladies, they don't know about their reproductive health at all, at all. And through the, the sessions, when you hear about the, the, about the myth that girls come up with, some of them, they're not the good information that they're being given. Because when you're giving a girl the wrong information, she may end up making the wrong decision, which might not be good to her. But through the sessions, when they open up, and they, the good thing is that they are, they are opening up the issues, they talk with confidence and courage. And like before they didn't know the issue, they were scared. But through the process of the training, they end up building about their self-esteem, they're about their standing, and then they are able to mentor other girls who are below their classes about menstruation and give them the correct answer, which is a great empowerment to talk to ladies about menstruation. Ruby Cup has had a remarkably quick turnaround from idea to successful product, and I wanted to know how they did it. I think one of the issues with um, having a social business is that it's super hyped, <laughs> uh, and, uh, but there's not a lot of money, honestly. Um, there's more hype about social business. I think that there's money willing, because, I mean, it is super risky, right? You take us, a team of three students at the time, master students, with the idea no proof, no, you know, not like 10 years background in, I don't know, menstrual hygiene management in developing countries. Um, and you have to try to convince investors to fund you. Um, so looking back, basically what we did at the time was just going for everything we could. But when I look back, what we've done is you can compare it to playing poker. <laughs> so you, um, you try to get as many good hands on, or get good cards on your hand as possible. And until you do it, you have to bluff. So uh, the first, uh, not bluff, but like you have to make sure that you speak with confidence because you have no proof, right? So in the beginning, we won a small competition in Denmark called Develop Prize. Uh, it didn't give us any money at all, but it gave us some recognition. And I think that helped us to get uh, the Innovations Against Poverty small grant from the Swedish Development Agency. And that was 20,000 euros that we had to match. At the same time, we've been in the media talking about menstruation in Denmark. And so an investor, a Danish investor, residing in London called us and said, this is interesting. Uh, I want to talk to you. And that was actually the initial relation for our a year later investment deal um, with him and his partner. And then we applied for a lot of competitions. Um, that's very recommendable, especially during the first year when you need to build that yeah, you need to basically compensate for some things that you haven't done yet, right? And you need to make people believe in you. And so you also need a great network. So we just applied for a lot of competitions and we were lucky to win several of them and to be invited to the US, amongst other things, and other places where we got in contact with amazing NGOs. And so just one thing leading to the other. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've done it very much through... Uh, do whatever you can and speak to as many people as possible and be very open, but also know that it's about creating or many, basically manifesting credibility. Because when you start out, you don't really have any. And then I think a lot of people, I mean, we've met so many people who want to help us because when you're passionate and you really want something, everybody wants to talk to you. One of the main learnings was also just to call people up and ask for help and say, we're in this situation. We don't really know how to go about this issue or we're looking for funding. Can you help us? And most people say yes. So really it's about making sure that you just tap into this huge network of people that are interested and inspired and you don't have to know everything and you don't have to have a lot of proof. You just need to be honest about where you are and what you're looking for.
You can learn more about Make It and order Ruby Cup online at ruby-cup.com. Until next time, I'm Max Mauerman, and we are alleviating poverty through entrepreneurship. Thank you.